0: it's good to be here with all of you today we just have a wonderful crowd and we are so thankful that you are here that you have chosen to be with us if you're visiting we say welcome and please come back every opportunity that you have an occasion or we have an occasion to meet I'm enjoying the series that I have started on the I am statements of Jesus as found in the gospel according to John and so far in this series we've talked on when jesus said i am the bread of life and we've also talked on when jesus said i am the light of the world now i did those in reverse order the first one was bread of life the second one was light of the world but i taught on the light of the world first but this one is the next in its succession this is the third one when jesus said so long ago he said i am the door As an introductory text, in John chapter ten, beginning uh, beginning in verse seven, John ten beginning in verse seven. Then Jesus said to them again, "Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who will ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture." The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Just a few things to kind of set up the study, set up this great sermon Jesus preached so long ago. It is on the heels of what happened in chapter 9. Now, I know that we have a chapter break where we have end of chapter 9 and then we have a big number 10 there starting the next chapter. And that was obviously done by the translators, but really, there's no chapter break by way of context. It flows right into the very next. Let me show you what I mean. In chapter 9, you remember that story, and I don't have time to go very deep into it, just to set our minds on the setting and on the scene. Jesus with his disciples were passing by, and they saw a beggar, a man that was born blind. And you remember, the disciples said to Jesus, tell us, Master, who did sin? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus would say this, it's neither his parents' fault nor his fault. It's nobody's fault. But obviously, as I paraphrase, in the end, you're going to see the glory of God. Jesus heals the man. The man can now see. And then here come the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were infuriated because Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath day. And they can just imagine in their mind, they can't fathom a scenario that somebody can be from God and not recognize the Sabbath. The Pharisees came and questioned this man. And this man said that he was healed by Jesus. The Pharisees went to this man's parents and they asked the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And how is it now that he can see? The Bible says that the parents responded like this. Yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But as to the reason he could now see, why don't you ask him? He's of age. And then it says, and this they said for fear of the Jews. You remember those religious leaders had already said if anybody is going to profess that Jesus is the Christ they would be cast out of the synagogue and that's exactly what happened to this man he is cast out you know what else happens great bitterness and great disdain is now the fury in their hearts at the Lord and they want to kill him so chapter 10 what are we talking about it's the same day it's the same scene it's the same people Jesus is responding to the same event. Now, the leaders of Israel are the false shepherds that Jesus talks about in chapter 10 as we begin. But standing there, you got the same disciples, you got the Pharisees, you got the blind beggar, and you got the rest of the Jews. And Jesus makes a great contrast between them and himself down in verse 11 when he said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Leaders of Israel, they were the thieves and they were the robbers. So the picture of a shepherd is really just a word picture. Jesus does not refer to himself till verse 11 as the good shepherd. But it was very fitting for the occasion because it would have been very familiar with those in Jerusalem and Judea. You know, there's something else that they knew. They knew all about shepherds and their flocks. You know what else they knew? They had enough knowledge of the Old Testament to remember and realize that the greatest shepherd of all is God. That God is referred to in the Old Testament as a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for his flock. And that's what God does for us when we are his. Beautiful picture. But let's just look at it from a physical standpoint now. I did a little research about this. I knew a little bit of this, but not really to the extent. Because I got to tell you, when I think about sheep grazing out in a field, I think of just what I just said. You can go through agricultural land and agricultural country, and you can look out, and you can see sheep, and they're grazing in this plentiful, plush, uh, great land, right? You see cattle out there, too, doing the same thing. That's not what they did. Back then, The the plush... And plentiful lands were for farming. So grazing land was quite different. In fact, there was rough and rocky terrain. And early in the morning, the shepherd would come. And he would take the sheep out of the fold. I'm going to get more back to the fold in just a moment. Take the sheep out from the fold, and they would go out. And they would graze. It was rough and rocky terrain, and it was very dangerous. And when I read some things about this... A sheep ran the risk of being injured all the time. They also ran the risk of wandering off. No doubt when Jesus talked about that parable, when he talked about the lost sheep, it was in reference to what they would have understood. You know why? Because when you turn them loose, you got the shepherd overseeing it all. But when you turn them loose, you might get one that is just wandering off. And the reason for that is the grass was very sparse, it wasn't all in one area. So a sheep would have to wander off over here and find some more grass to eat. The shepherd had to be on his toes. It was a very arduous detail. It was difficult. It was tiring. It was exhausting for the shepherd. He had to protect him too. Maybe they would have a leg that got wedged between two rocks and couldn't get out. The shepherd had to be ready to go and dislodge that. The shepherd had to also protect against wild animals that would come and destroy the sheep. He also had to protect about some of those thieves and robbers. They would go out there and they would steal the sheep so they could have the meat and they could have the wool. It was an all-day affair. And according to scholars, it was exhausting. One historical writer wrote this. I think this is, this is very telling. He said that night you meet the shepherd... And he's coming back to the fold sleepless. He's weather beaten and he's leaning on his staff. That's a picture of how it was for a shepherd. You know, there were shepherds in the Old Testament that we could read about. We could read about Abraham. We can read about Isaac. We could read about Jacob. We can read about Moses who tended the flocks in Midian for his father-in-law. How about David? David was a shepherd boy. He also was one of those. But in all that being said, they all bore the characteristics of a good shepherd. And here they are, constant vigilance, fearless courage, and patient love for his flock. Now, Jesus later on is going to talk about himself being the good shepherd. You know what Jesus is too? Jesus bears the characteristics of a good shepherd, the best shepherd, with his constant vigilance his fearless courage that he showed, and patient love for his flock. The most well-known shepherd in the Old Testament, obviously, is God. And the psalmist David said, and he made it very personal in that 23rd Psalm, I'll not quote the whole passage. But in the 23rd Psalm, David said, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. At the end of that psalm, he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you think about the Lord and you are his, that's personal. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Much more on that later on. So with that little bit of background, let's look at the story now. And really, I got to tell you, at the very beginning, it just looks like a little story that is not very deep, and that is wrong. Just like all the other teaching of Jesus, some of the deepest things ever preached were done by our Lord and presented in a very simple way. This passage is so deep in theology, it is so deep in meaning, Let's try to dig some of those things out. Let's begin with verse 1 of John chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. All right. What is the sheepfold? Well, the sheepfold in the village, I'm told, that's what a fold is, in the village you would have a sheep fold, simply a pen. That pen would be the place where, he sl- where the sheep would sleep. The shepherd would bring the sheep at night to be safe. That was in a sheep fold. They'd go out all day grazing. There's a lot of history behind this. And when they came in, they were put in a pen for the night. You know what I read? That in villages, they had a number of shepherds, all kinds of shepherds. A large number of shepherds. And every one of the shepherds had their own sheep. You know what's interesting? They would bring them at night and put them in one fold. They would be in this one pen. They would come and take all of those sheep. They would all be put together. One at a time, the shepherd would take his rod and he would place it at the entrance of that sheep fold so it would keep the sheep from going in. It would all be examined one at a time. The shepherd would examine the sheep top to bottom, front to back. Maybe that sheep being outside, he didn't recognize it before. Maybe he got a cut. He would take oil, which was for medicinal and soothing properties, and he would put it on those wounds. He would care for the sheep. When the sheep was okay, completely taken care of, he would what? Like the Old Testament speaking of God in Ezekiel, he would lift his rod and let the sheep in. He would drop it back down again for the next sheep that would come. He would examine that sheep top to bottom, front to back, doctor the sheep if necessary. Then he would lift his rod and let the sheep go in one at a time. And every shepherd did that with every one of his sheep. Simple enclosure surrounded by a wall. And if night would come, if anybody is going to get in, they had to jump the wall. Because they hired a porter. That was a guy, by the way, in verse 3. It talks about him as being a doorkeeper. That's a hired hand. We find out he's referred to a hired hand, I think, it's verse 12. He's talking about a hired hand later on, right? But that's the porter. That's the doorkeeper. And his job would be to keep everybody out over the nighttime and guard the sheep. That was his job. Now, shepherds the next day would reappear. And I love this. The Bible says that they go out and they call them by name and they lead them back to the pasture. Now, if you go to verse one again, this is a very vivid picture. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, what is this? I tell you, you got to be careful about commentaries because some commentators think this is talking about the church. No, it's not. Jesus, as the good shepherd, does not lead people out of the church. He leads people to the church. Also, if this was talking about the church, it says thieves and robbers, they can't get in the door, but they can get in if they jump the wall. No, you can't do that. You can't come in any other way other than what Jesus has outlined to come into the church. So it can't be the church. So what is it? Some people say it's heaven. That doesn't make sense either because Jesus doesn't lead people away from heaven. Jesus leads people to heaven. So what is it? What's the sheepfold? In this case... The sheepfold, stay with me, please, is Judaism. And I believe specifically those who were baptized by John the Baptist. And that would make John the Baptist the doorkeeper or the porter. Now, we're going to use the word fold again that will refer to the church later on. We're going to refer to different things. But right now, what are we talking about? Jesus came to do what? Lead his sheep out of the sheepfold. That's the sheepfold, obviously, of Israel or Judaism. And John the Baptist, you remember, he was the forerunner. He was the one that said, the one that comes after me is mightier than I am. He's the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus went after John the Baptist. So in this corral or pen or sheepfold, you find those in Judaism. What did Jesus come to do? Lead people out of Judaism. You know, when John the Baptist baptized people, it was for the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That would have been for the remission of sins if that person died before Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. It would have been remission of sins for that person too. So you think about it this way. Well, if we're talking about those in Judaism, is it talking about those that were baptized by John? We know the gospel went forth everywhere. We know that people everywhere were baptized by the baptism of John. He was the forerunner, preparing them and preparing the way for Jesus Christ, his cousin that was six months younger than he was. But he was the Lord. Now, notice this. There's something else. So the first fold that we're talking about obviously, is Judaism, but there's got to be another one too because if we drop down to verse 16, and other sheep have which I have which are not of this fold. Who's that? There's only one shepherd. What's the other fold? I think the other fold has to be this. It's the Gentiles. It's nations. It's the countries of the world. You see the picture? The good shepherd came to lead sheep out of the bondage of Judaism and the bondage of sin. From Judaism to Gentiles out in the world, Jesus comes to lead them. All right. So what's the fold? The fold then is whatever holds temporarily the sheep that belong to God. Judaism, specifically baptized by John, I think, in the context here, or the world. Now, I have to make this point of clarification. People that believe in predestination, and what I, what I mean by that is that God has predetermined who's going to be saved, oftentimes use this idea and use this concept to say, you see, God already chose them. So they are in the fold. God already chose them, and then they come later on, but they were chosen to be saved by God originally. That's not what this means. It holds temporarily, whatever you are, Jew or Gentile, you're held in that fold, and those that are gods are those that will obey God. And by obedience to God and obedience to the gospel, you are led in the paths of righteousness following the shepherd. That's all that means. All right. So, what, we, what we've noticed is we've noticed about the shepherd and we've noticed about the sheepfold. What about, what about the Christian age? In the Christian age, there's going to be one fold, and that's the church. There's one shepherd, and that's Jesus. And whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you'll be in that one fold. In that one church. Remember, he calls people out of Judaism and out of the world and brings them into the fold of permanence, and that's the kingdom, that's the church. Okay, so what about this? What about this phraseology? John chapter 10 and verse 2 He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What's the door? Now, later on, Jesus is going to call himself the door. But in this passage, it says this. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What's it speaking about in this particular verse? It's talking about privilege, right, authority, and ownership. Nobody has the authority but Jesus. Now, let's look at the shepherd-sheep relationship, right? You got the doorkeeper there. The doorkeeper is not letting anybody in except the shepherd. There's only one way to get to the sheep by the shepherd and that's in the door. That's his ownership, his authority, his right and his privilege because he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the good shepherd and the only one that brings eternal life. Now, who are the thieves and robbers who climb up another way? The thieves and the robbers are any false shepherds. But in context here, in this case, it's the Pharisees and the scribes. But it's any false shepherds. In John chapter 10 and verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name. Then in verse 4, leads them out. And when he brings them out of his own sheep... He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. I read something. Now, those of you that know me really well, especially my family, have teased me of how I've named my animals. We name animals. If a dog, you name the dog. You speak the dog's name, I'm ready, what do you mean? I even named my fish. Yeah, Nemo. But I've been teased in my lifetime because of the way that I have named my horses and my dogs. For example, when I was younger, I had a Queensland healer, a roan-colored Queensland. You know what his name was? Rony. I had a dun-colored horse. You know what his name was? Dunny. I had a black calf-roping horse when I was in college. You know what his name was? Blackie. I've got a paint horse now. Paint-colored horse. You know what his name is? His name is Paint. Do you know that these shepherds did that very same thing? They would look to a mark of distinction, a mark that distinguished them from somebody else, and they would come up with a name, and they would name the sheep. When the shepherd comes to call the sheep out of the sheepfold and bring them back out in the pasture, you know what he does? He comes in. He's the only one with that kind of authority. The gatekeeper lets him in. He goes in, and he starts calling their names. Two things, they know their name and they know his voice. They know his voice because they've heard his voice and they come to the shepherd and he leads them back out for another day, grazing all day long. The shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. Notice verse five. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but he will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This is so important. This is really important. They don't know the voice of the stranger. Now, I hope you understand the spiritual application of all of this. We're not really talking about physical shepherds, and we're not really talking about animals, are we? But it's a picture, it's a sermon the Lord is preaching. He's giving a a tremendous illustration here. The shepherd calls the sheep and calls them by name and the sheep come because they know the voice and they know their name. There's a relationship there. You know what they don't listen to? They don't hear the voice of the stranger. Who's that? What's the voice? What's the voice of the shepherd, by the way, representative of? It's referring to distinctive quality of Jesus' teaching. It's listening to the Lord. It's following the word of God today. That's the voice. The voice of strangers are these. And this is very prominent in today's society. It really is. Philosophies, theories, and speculation. You know what happens today What happens today is people, our kids, our children, and in the institutions of learning, they hear things like philosophy, theories, and speculation. Do you know what that is with referring to the universe and referring to God and referring to our existence and all of that? You know what that's called? That's called a stranger. A stranger bringing in philosophy, theories, And all of that stuff. And by the way, you can't even say it's science. My dad used to say this, that science is catching up to the Bible. Catching up to God. Because I'll tell you right now, if it violates, if science violates God, it's not science. God invented all the science too. The stranger is somebody that comes in with a philosophy or a theory that causes people to doubt. To doubt their faith. That's why we have to be rooted and grounded in the teachings of Jesus, in following the word of God. Because that's the voice. That's the voice of a shepherd. That's the one that we know. We know that voice. And when you hear, by the way, the stranger's voice that brings in things that violate the word of God, we reject it. we got to reject it. Now. Also, I think there's something important to point out, too. People that are false teachers, even religiously, fall into this category, too. And I like what one scholar said. He said, people that are loyal to the false teacher do not know the shepherd. If people are loyal to the false teaching... You don't know the shepherd. We know the shepherd because we hear his voice. If you stop listening to to his voice, where's the mark of distinction? That's why we can never, ever, ever stop listening to the voice of Jesus. In John chapter 10 and verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And again, one of those things, Jesus says something, he preaches the perfect sermon, it's the perfect setting, he knows the topic he's going to cover, the whole nine yards. He uses illustrations that they'll understand. Oh, by the way, oh, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They did not understand. Now, what have we known so far before we progress? And the last part of our lesson is the shortest part, but it's the conclusion, and we're going to get to what Jesus meant when he said, I am the door. What have we known so far? We know there's a shepherd. We know there are sheep. We know that all the sheep of all the shepherds are in one sheepfold. We know that the shepherd comes and calls not somebody else's sheep, calls his own sheep. The folds that we come out of from a spiritual perspective are the folds of Judaism and the folds of the world and Jesus leads us out. We also learn this that Jesus says, "He who enters by the door." And that means this so far. That means by his authority. He has the authority. He has the right. He owns the sheep. I got to throw something in here. Do you know according to Romans, you are owned by something? I know that sometimes in life, especially when we're younger, we don't want to be owned. We don't want to be told what to do. And by the way, our society really bows their neck at being told what to do. And I get that. Fine. Oh, Whatever. I'm not even addressing I'm not addressing that. I'm addressing this, though. The Lord owns you if you're a Christian. You've been bought by the inestimable price of the blood of Jesus. He owns your life for the rest of your life. You submit to Jesus for the rest of your life. Why? He has the authority. He died for our sins. He shed his blood. The nail prints are in his hands. Like my dad used to say, Son, Jesus has all the votes. He's got it all. All right. Now what? Now Jesus is going to say this. Now he's going to say this. Jesus is said to them again. Now, up until verse 6, they they had no clue what he was talking about. Well, he said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Hold it right there. He's not only the shepherd, he's also the door. He's not just a shepherd. He's the door. Doors lead somewhere. What else? Have you ever stopped to consider that we have freedom too? Now the Bible talks about we're either the slave of sin or we are the slave of Jesus Christ. Okay? But have you ever stopped to consider what we are free from? Being a Christian is about freedom. Freedom. Not freedom to do whatever you want to do. I didn't say that. But it is about freedom. He leads people out from the freedom of bondage. Freedom of bondage. That includes the bondage of the old law. And that includes the bondage of sin. I'm so thankful when I became a Christian that I was free from the bondage of sin. It feels wonderful when you obey the gospel. Do you know why? Because your sins are washed away. No longer are you the slave of sin. No longer are you under bondage, the bondage of sin. If a person came back in those days from the law of Moses, they're no longer under the bondage of the old law in Jesus Christ. All right. Now, in the next, the next phrase of this verse, notice he said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. What an amazing statement. In John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the father except through me. What we have here is we've gone from a metaphor to fact. We've gone from a metaphor. We've gone from a scenario. We've gone from an illustration to fact. And here it comes. Jesus says, I am the door. It's me. And if anybody enters through me, he's going to be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Metaphor to reality. You will be saved. What about this last phrase here? What about this last phrase? and will go in and out and find pasture. You know, this is the saving shepherd. We have the beauties of being saved. But according to what Jesus says here, we also have something else. We have the freedom to go in and out and find pasture. So what is the spiritual application? This is what E.M. Zer said. In its application, it simply means... If a man accepts Jesus as his shepherd by obedience to the gospel and fulfilling the terms that the Lord has given us, when you do that, he will be saved from the wolves of sin and also will be abundantly supplied with spiritual pasture or food. In other words, I love this. We got nothing to fear. In a literal sense, the sheep had nothing to fear because the shepherd kept the wolves away. What about this? What about from a spiritual perspective? Sometimes we're going to have a hard life. Sometimes we're going to have difficult things. Sometimes that is all true. But we are going to have spiritual pasture and spiritual food. We've got nothing to lose. We've got nothing to fear if we follow the Lord. Now, let me hang a little meat on that. That statement we'll have no fear here it is in romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us For I am persuaded, I love this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, summing up. The Lord is the shepherd. And the shepherd is the door. God feeds us and God sustains us with green pastures through our whole spiritual life. What is that? That's the word of God. That's the word of God. You remember Jeremiah said, Jeremiah said, uh, he said, when, the, when your word came, I ate them. Another translation says, thy word was found, and that became my food. That is the spiritual food that we need. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So where does his voice come to us? His voice comes to us in his word. Through the word. As the Spirit gives life to the Word, we follow the Scripture. We must love the Word. We say, like David said, oh, how I love your law. It is our delight. Finally, one final passage, and that's verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Here's the comparison. Jesus draws a conclusion and what he's saying is this. He's saying the religious hierarchy of hardened Israel, you know what they were? They were the murderous thief intent on killing and destroying. But Jesus Christ is the true shepherd who came to bring abundant life to the people of God. It saddens me when I see people that think that to be a Christian, you have to live a life that has no joy. I don't get that. I once heard a man say, if you're not a little bit miserable, you are not living the Christian life as you should. Wow. Because even if you have a hard time, there's nothing that says be miserable. You know, it says have joy. It says rejoice. The Apostle Paul was under house arrest awaiting his execution. And his theme throughout Philippians is rejoice. And why is that? I'm going to leave you with the words of Burton Kaufman. This is what he said about this. The Christian life is the happy life. Free, abundant, and overflowing. Adventurous and exciting beyond any other kind of existence. Why can't men believe their creator? to the effect that the way of Christ is the way of joy and fulfillment. I'm going to tell you what, it's the greatest life in the world. It's the greatest life ever. And by the way, if you're literally living the Christian life and you're behaving as you should at your job and school or wherever, your friends, if you're doing it as a Christian the way that you should, you're going to stay out of trouble. There's benefits everywhere. It is the best life. It's filled with joy. We've been taken from the fold of sin in the world, and we are now in the fold, being the church, being the kingdom. And one day, Jesus is going to take that church, that kingdom, and hand it over to his Father, and we get to go to heaven, and then it'll be worth it all. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info@churchofchristbakersfield.com. At our service times are Sundays at 10:30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7:30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.